Lord, we thank you for the joy of, of singing and then gathering together around this table, one Savior, one family, one body, one spirit, one joy and salvation, one new called out people forever to sing your praise. And now, Lord, we come around this book, your word, inspired, preserved, handed down. And Lord, we come carefully and in awe and anticipating of your word. Thank you for your spirit, even now in this room, preparing us to receive these words, equipping us to understand them, and then applying them as I preach, amazingly so, applying them into our lives to make us more the people you desire us to be today and this week. We thank you that all of this happens in the context of the gospel, the good news that sinners can be forgiven in Jesus and be made saints, receiving the righteousness of Christ. We thank you that life is eternal and that it is promised and that it is in Jesus that we find this life. And so we celebrate your goodness and your grace today. Lead us on now. Open our eyes to see glorious things of you. In Jesus' name, amen. The choosing of the twelve. Let's begin with uh, kind of the setup here. It, verse 12 talks about Jesus preparing for a, a night of prayer. And uh, I just this is a fascinating thing to consider. Uh, let me just read this. In these days, as this hostility began to, to boil, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued in prayer to God all night. All night he continued in prayer. Now it says he went out to the mountain to pray. And we don't know specifically because Mount Arbel is not mentioned in Scripture. But if you've been to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, you know there is a mountain. It looms large over the entire lake. And it is this mountain right here in the picture um, that is uh, in view. And so uh, Capernaum is, if you can picture, right down here, okay? And uh, here's the corner where the boats were parked and Jesus preached. Uh, all kinds of things. There would have been in this general area around 200 villages. Very small fishing, very blue-collar area. Uh, small villages spread all over the valley floor. And from this mountain, which, by the way, we climbed. We parked our bus down here and climbed right up here all the way up around to the face and then up on top, um, Jesus would be able to see across this entire flatland and plain. And at night, all the campfires, think of what that would look like laid out down below. And so I, I can't say for certain, I certainly wouldn't burn, burn it to stake for it, but I think it's very likely that Jesus climbed up on this mountain. And uh, you'll see, here's me right there. I kind of blend in, you know, kind of sneaky like that. This is a cave, and look at this. This entire mountain is filled with caves. And every single cave, as you can see up in this picture a little bit, the, the ceilings are black with the soot of thousands of shepherds' fires over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So at night, when you look up at this mountain, you would also see campfires glowing across the face of this at times. And when we were up there, um, I, I like caves, so I was trying to crawl in as many as I could. Some of them smelled really bad. 
uh, because there's these mountain cows, apparently, in Israel. We're coming around the corner on this steep cliff, and here is a full-size cow standing in a cave. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing here? So coming around the face of this Mount Arbel, looking down over the, the whole valley, there's a better picture of some of the caves. I was right here. There's a big cave up here I crawled up into, and the cow was right here, okay? We hiked across this, and then we climbed pretty much up the face of this uh, rock face right here. Um, it was pretty extreme. It was, it was pretty, pretty fun. But think of this. This is very likely the place that Jesus spent the night when he prayed all night long. This would have been a place that he could escape. We're talking thousands and thousands of people are flocking to the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They have heard. This is where Jesus is. This is where all of the, the miracles are taking place. This might be the Messiah. The word is spread across all over Israel. And people are flocking into the area. Um, so he goes up for a full night of prayer. And it says that he, uh, he continued in prayer to God. He prayed all night long. Now, how that message was passed back down maybe would have happened after he came back down and then made his announcement. He probably would have told somebody there, I didn't sleep. I prayed all night. I spent the entire night in prayer before this important decision was to be made. I remember at Bible school uh, back when we were uh, on a men's dorm floor, we had 33 guys on our dorm floor, and we decided, you know what, let's have an extended prayer time late in the evening. And so we, we all got into uh, our, we called it the lounge area, and we all piled in there, and we began to pray. And it was, it was wonderful. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And then, I mean, it was late. And our, uh, the RA for our floor, uh, Dante, he was supposed to close in prayer. Okay, now, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before. We all had prayed everything we could pray and, and come up with, and then there was just this long period of silence. And Dante was not closing in prayer. And finally, I, I peek. You know, I look up, and Dante is over there. <laughs> he was out cold, sleeping. And so we're like, Dante, hey, Dante. Oh, oh amen. Let's go, let's go to bed. It's hard to pray all night. Just the physical um, pattern of sleep and, and the focus, the challenge that it is to keep your mind engaged. Jesus prayed all night with his Father. He spent that full night in focused communion with the Father. Hmm. He was seeking to find the will of the Father. Specifically, I believe, as it related to whom he would choose as the apostles, the ones that would be sent out. You see a, a bringing together here of tremendous realities, both the divinity of Christ, the godness of Christ, and the humanity of Christ. In his humanity, the, the reality is he had to fight this word here, and he continued in prayer. That would have been a tenacious, focused pursuit uh, to uh, persevere all night in prayer, focusing. And at the same time, in this divinity, experiencing 
what he has known eternally of communion and fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. An amazing thing taking place, maybe on that mountain right there. He is dependent and seeking to discern. Dependence and discernment. This is a big decision. There are a lot of people in view, a lot of men to choose from. Who, who will he call out as the chosen twelve? What he wants to know, if you remember from many other passages, Jesus says, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the Father. So his work in this moment, I believe, independence through the Spirit, is, Father, show me precisely the 12 men you would have me choose. I want to do your will. Those 12 we're going to see in a minute here. So he names the apostles. Now, working through this, you have to remember, there were many disciples and there were to be only 12 apostles. So the names coming through his mind would have been many. And out of those, he is to pick only 12. Okay? So let's read this. Um, Verse 13, When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Okay? So a few things happening here. I think, again, the reason I think this, this mountain works great is because Jesus probably would have been seeking solitude up high, uh, maybe up in a cave here looking out over, and it's possible then that the rest of uh, maybe a hundred or two disciples would have been down here in more of the flatter areas down below. So what Jesus describes is not coming all the way down where the masses are, but coming down from the, this mountain, probably down to where um, one to two hundred even of his committed uh, followers, disciples were. Okay, by this time Jesus had many, many followers uh, who were there, and uh, they were on his trail, following in his dust. Wherever he goes, they go, and so there seems to be some separation to get alone. He goes farther on up. And leaves them down. He comes down to his disciples. Now, a disciple uh, in this time is, was a student or a learner. Their goal was to follow the rabbi. Wherever he went, they would go. Whatever he said, they would hang on. They wanted to get to the point where they could anticipate his words. Because the most significant reality of any uh, follower would be to be commissioned by that rabbi to go and carry his yoke. To be a, a, a commissioned a messenger of that rabbi, or in this case, an apostle. So Jesus distinguishes from among his disciples who were many. He pulls 12 out, 12 men to be apostles, to be apostles. He asks the question, did, did Jesus have a problem with women? Absolutely not. Following in his disciple crowd would have been many, many women. We read about them all over the place in the Gospels. Many women were close into the ministry of Christ. But when it comes to teaching the word of God, carrying the office of apostle, that identifiable leadership role was reserved specifically for the men. And so too in the church today, uh, as scripture has given that to us, not in any way to suggest that women are lesser in value. Think of this. The father sent the son 
And the Son says, I submit my will to the Father. The, the Son is no less than the Father. He simply is serving a different role. That's what we have both in the church and the Trinity and in the home, frankly. The head of the house is to be the man, the leader, provider, the initiator, the spiritual leader, the one who if the Lord knocks on the front door, he's asking for Adam in the garden, even though Eve was first to sin. So we have this, uh, this, this, this important reminder here. There is a difference between men and women, and it's not just body parts. God has designed gender to be glorifying to him in the difference and the equality, okay? So he calls 12 men. He calls them in, in a commissioning way. Take my yoke of teaching upon you and go represent me. I'm going to send you out to represent me. And certainly we know after Jesus was crucified, buried, raised, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, these men were the men to carry on the work of the kingdom the work of the church, except for one, which we'll talk more about soon. Now, it's an amazing thing, the number 12. Why, why 12? Well, the Lord has chosen that there would be 12 tribes of Israel. The old covenant, as it were, was preparation for the new covenant. The old covenant anticipated the arrival of the Messiah, the new covenant reality. And so in the new covenant, establishing the church, or what we would maybe call true Israel, those who are trusting Christ as Savior and Lord, this is the, uh, the, the fulfillment of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles for the church. And just like Moses, the, the figurehead of the Old Covenant, came off of the mountain and delivered the law to the people. Remember in Exodus when we saw that? Now you have Jesus coming down from the mountain and uh, identifying the, 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 the pillars of the church and commissioning them to carry the gospel, the good news. So it's an amazing comparison to see the fulfillment of all of these things in Christ. Now, how did he do it? How, how did Jesus call out of, you know, a couple hundred disciples the specific men that he was after? Well, let's try it, okay? Let's try it. Everybody stand up this morning. Everybody stand up. And, uh, okay, there we are. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call 12. 12 men. Anton, come be an apostle. Come be an apostle. Dick Storgard. Dick, son of the Storgard. Come. And, and be an apostle. Kevin, son of Russell. <laughs> I don't know how to do this in our day. Kevin Russell, okay. If you would rather not, you can just say no thanks. Um, come on down. Jeremy, would you come and be an apostle? Okay. Frank, if you're able, you feeling up for it? You want to come? Okay, come on down. Where's Jesse at? Jesse Weatherby, come be an apostle. Brian, I asked you ahead of time. Where's Brian? Okay, come. Just pick a chair. Any chair will do. Okay. All right. Good. Come on at Dan Long. Would you come? Awesome. This is the hardest thing when you're trying to remember names and you see a crowd of people. Brian, come be an apostle. Come. Uh, Nathan, Nathaniel, Nate. Actually, look at this. This is cool. 
you can be the exact name of one of these guys, okay? That's good. All right, how, how many do we need still? We got two more. Three. Lynn, you want to come? Okay. Good. Ben, you up for this? Okay. Larry, we got enough? That would be 13. Well, I mean, there is the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but we won't include him in this list. Sorry the chairs are so tight. That, I mean, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of room up there. Okay. Now, y'all can have a seat. Thank you. How Jesus did this, I don't know exactly. But uh, just start with this one and then hand it on down. We'll go that direction with him. Take him from the top and then you can hold him up, okay? All right. So some way or another, he called these men by their names. And so, you know, first Simon and maybe two or three Simons were like, oh, yeah. And they start coming, Simon Peter. Oh, okay, okay, all right, okay, right? And and who knows how how this all went down, but here are the names. We'll start up here with with Simon Peter. Simon, who he called Peter. Now, from this point forward, Luke will refer to Simon as Peter. Jesus renames him Petros, Rocky, you could say, Rocky. Upon this rock I will build my church. His profession of faith in Christ alone is, is a significant thing. And we've got to say this, Simon Peter is the first of all of the Gospels when they list the apostles. He is always the first. And Lynn, I'm so, wait, hold on. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Judas Iscariot, you're supposed to you be at the end. I called you last. <laughs> okay, here you go. Thanks. <laughs> you just, you guys are messing with me, aren't you? Okay, Lynn, I'm sorry. You, you always are named last in all of the Gospels, and the reason we know, right? Judas Iscariot, Iscariot was the name of a town where he was from. He was, uh, identity, he was actually, he's the only city boy in the whole gr- uh, group. All of these guys are country boys. They're from the, the, the plains, right? And Judas was from the city, and he became the traitor, the traitor, okay? Replaced after with Matthias. Okay, who would carry his role after Judas hung himself. So, um, Simon, whom we named Peter, then his brother Andrew, we've got Andrew here, and then James and John, the sons of thunder. Okay, yeah, you guys are bros. Now, all four of you are fishermen. They are partners in a fishing effort, so they are good friends. They have spent countless hours together in work together fishing. And then comes Philip. Philip, he calls an amazing thing, he comes and uh, he's excited about finding the one who is the Messiah. And uh, so he calls Philip. He says, come follow me. And Philip's like, wait, I got to go tell my buddy. And so he runs over and says, uh, Bartholomew, not, not mule, I, for the, I'll confess. My entire life, up until this last week, I have thought that that name ended in mule. And my wife almost rolled on the floor laughing <laughs> when she corrected me. It's Mew, Bartholomew. Maybe he had a mule, I don't know. <laughs> he also went by the name Nathaniel. And so some of the other gospel writers referred to him as Nathaniel. Bartholomew is a family name. Nathaniel was most likely his specific name. And then Matthew... Um, <laughs> 
we know about Matthew. Levi, right? The tax collector, okay? And then Simon the Zealot. This is the other Simon he was starting. And Oh, no, Simon Peter. Simon. So Simon again. Simon the Zealot. We know very little about this man, but we do know that he was not Simon Peter. He was a distinguished Simon, and he was a zealot. And then Thomas, who is called, uh, also called Didymus, or the twin. That's what Didymus means, the twin. Um, then down, James, the son of Alphaeus, who is not to be confused with James, the son of Zebedee. So James, the son of Alphaeus, was sometimes referred to as James the lesser. He was younger. And James the Greater, or James the Great, was the son of Zebedee. Um, down then to Judas, the son of James, or otherwise known as Jude, um, um, or even Thaddeus in some of the Gospels, and then Judas Iscariot. Okay, so here we have 12 apostles. That's a, a, a large number of men. Okay, think of this. This group was chosen to follow Jesus everywhere he went. They were invited into the inner circle of Christ's training work. His goal was to teach these men to carry the work of the kingdom, specifically. From out of all of the uh, disciples, these men were commissioned with authority. Okay? Now, this is an unlikely band of brothers. I just want to give this a go here. Uh, Simon Peter, if you would stand. And uh, where are we at? Thomas, if you would stand. Just stand up there. And I just want to think about this for a second. Okay, what do we know about Thomas? What comes to mind? He's, he's a pessimist, right? <laughs> he's a pessimist. No, no, that couldn't be. There's no way that could happen. Jesus, we should definitely not go up to Jerusalem. That is not going to go well, right? Thomas, that's just his personality. What do we know about Simon Peter? He's the opposite. He's the eternal optimist. Let's do it. Yeah, everybody in. We could take him. Lord, I'll go anywhere with you. And so here you have the, uh, the personality clash of an optimist, a hard charger, and then a pessimist, a very careful, cautious, slow-to-go kind of guy. They're on the same team. So Jesus brings together the, the, the wide range of personalities, even among these men. Okay, you guys can have a seat. Simon the Zealot, if you would stand. And uh, where's my tax? Oh, they're sitting right next to each other. Stand up, my tax collector. <laughs> Think about this, okay? Simon the Zealot has spent his waking hours finding a way to overthrow Rome. He is literally strapped with a short sword that he can hide in his uh, garment and pull out at a moment's notice and do damage to Rome if need be. He is a zealot. He is known as the zealot. Right next to him is Matthew, Levi, the sellout the one who's literally building Rome by stealing from his own. Think of the former uh, stories of these two men. They are completely contrasting, oil and water. And here they are now called out by Christ, sitting side by side in the work of the kingdom. Th does that not show how powerful the gospel is? Think of the differences. That you, you think it's awkward to talk politics at Thanksgiving with your family? Try it with these two, <laughs> right? And yet in Christ, they were arm in arm in the gospel. Okay, thank you guys.
You guys all can go down. Thank you. I know it's not the most comfortable seat in the church. You did great. Head on down. Let's give these guys a round of applause. Okay. So an unlikely band of brothers we have. There are many, many more things to tell. Certainly, I, I would encourage you to go. Um, we know about the death of James from Acts, I believe, Acts 12. But then church uh, history and tradition will tell of uh, how all of these men died. Brutal deaths, except for John, who lived out his days on the island of Patmos, right? He was um, set aside on an island where he wrote the book of Revelation and lived out his years. All of the rest of them died. Peter said he wanted to be crucified upside down because being crucified in the same way as his Lord was too, 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 too much, uh, too close a comparison. He didn't deserve the same death as his Savior. And so you can see, the other thing that's fascinating to see is on a map where the men died. Not all right in Israel. Spread all over the place in the known world at the time. They went out with the Gospel to carry it. Commissioned by Christ to carry His message. Now, there's a few things I want to draw our attention to about all of these men as they are called out to be apostles by Christ. Number one, they have been chosen by God. Chosen by God. Called by Christ face to face. Come, be my apostle. But chosen specifically by the Father. As Jesus prayed, he wanted to know the will of the Father. Who are the men that I will call? And the Father gave him this list, which included the one who would betray. He knew when he called Judas. He knew what would be. And he called him to be part of the twelve. Chosen by God. I can't help but think of this verse in John 15 when Jesus says to his, uh, his apostles, his inner circle, he says, listen, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you and made you apostles that you should go and bear fruit. What an amazing thing. It's just a reminder. Don't, don't forget, guys. I chose you for this, for this work. Hmm. It was a noble very significant and, and eternally implicating work. Think of the, the new city, the new Jerusalem. Let me just read a little description here. This will blow your mind. John writes about the angel who carried him away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its, uh, uh, the, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. Now listen to what's on each gate. On the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. Now listen to this. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb that's jesus and these 12 their names eternally inscribed on the foundation stones of the very new holy city 
that we will enter into. So every time we enter into the holy city, we will pass under the name of one of the tribes of Israel and walk right over the top of one of the names of these men as we pass in. What an amazing honor it is to be chosen in this way. Hmm. They were chosen by God. They were also chosen by grace. The, the grace of God was extended to these men in selecting them. Just be clear, they did not qualify. The, these men were not qualified. They weren't you know, earning the favor or the selection of, of the Father in any real way. In fact, I was just reminded, as you think about it, what, what of these men, of these 12, were, were religious leaders at all? Which of them had any formal training? None of them. None of them. The closest you get, really, is, is the Apostle Paul. Really, the, the kind of the, the, the apostle come lately. After all of that, Jesus meets him on the road and, and changes him from that, that raging, murderous Pharisee into a church planner. These men had no qualifications that would qualify them for this office, this role. Hmm. Reminds me of the echo of how God spoke about his choice of his own people in the Old Testament. Listen to what he says. The Lord your God has chosen you, Israel, to be a people for his treasured possession. What beautiful words. He's chosen you to be his treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, don't, don't miss this. God is not choosing everyone. He's choosing Israel only. That means he's not choosing all of the other nations to be his own treasured possession. He chooses Israel, and he says this. Let me just remind you guys, it's not because you are more you know, in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For in fact, you were the fewest of all peoples. It's not, it's not that Israel was impressive and God was like, well, the obvious choice here is Israel. That's a home run choice. He says it was the opposite of that. You were the worst choice in comparison with all the nations. And I chose you. And I set my love on you. Hmm. Why did he do it? Here's the reason. This is, this is so incredible. It is because the Lord loves you. That's the reason he chose Israel. I choose you because I love you. I set my love upon you, and I choose you. That's why. Because I'm God, he says. I am God, and I choose you. Wow. It's in keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he reminds them of how that redemption looked. This is all anticipating the, 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 the shadow being fulfilled in Christ, the one who would be the Messiah, who would bring us out from the, the slavery of our sins. Hmm. Though the apostles were chosen by God, they were chosen in grace by God, and they were chosen in weakness. Chosen in weakness, not in strength. I was just reminded of a couple of these phrases. Interactions with Jesus and his twelve. Oh, you of little 
faith. You know how many times he said this? Many times, over and over. This was the words of Jesus to his 12 who witnessed miracles and wonders and still they doubted. Why did you doubt? Even the night he was betrayed by Judas, who had experienced all of this. This, this, this is just one of those reminders, by the way. You can be in church your whole life and witness wonders and glory and see nothing. Judas betrayed Jesus for, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, 30 pieces of silver. Just as Zechariah prophesied, that was the price he was willing to betray Jesus for. He did not believe. Here's the reality, though. That night, when the soldiers came, carrying the torches, and all the force was there, where did these loyal apostles, all the ones who said, we'll go anywhere with you, we'll, we'll die with you if need be, they all left him and fled. Even one r- ran right out of his clothes. They tried to grab him, and he ran and just said, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. And they, they all he had was his coat. Weakness, friends, not strength. These men were not impressive. There was no reason that they stood out from among the rest. God simply said, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. It's not that God saw potential in them. It's that he had the power to make them who he chose for them to be. They bring nothing to the table, and Christ brings everything. That is so true. Lastly, they were chosen to change the world. This is the mission. This is the the goal. This is the whole focus and push of all of the training is literally turn the world upside down. And guess what? We're here today. All these years later, here we are. Success. The nobodies. The commoners. The blue-collar fishermen types. Right? Here we are. Today, how many words of this book do we owe to the men on this stage? John, the apostle John alone, just sitting over here, wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and all of Revelation. Five books of your New Testament from one of these men right here. The tax collector wrote a Gospel. What an amazing thing. First and second, Peter from over here. And on and on. Think of that. Jesus promised this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, my commissioned messengers, and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And they were. And here we are. This is an awesome moment, a very significant moment. And it just goes to show what God can do with ordinary people. Extraordinary things. Just just normal people. Captured by the power of the gospel. Now, speaking of extraordinary things, look at what happens right after this. Verse 17, he, he came down with them and stood on a level place. And so I think 
probably down to the valley floor, where all these people, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people, listen to the places these people have traveled from, from all of Judea and Jerusalem, so from the south, all across the seacoast, even up north, Tyre and Sidon, all the way down, people had come uh, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, watch what took place. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought simply to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Thousands and thousands of people are healed by simply reaching out and touching Jesus. Just a touch of his arm, healing power was just coming out from him. Hmm. Classes in session. Let me show you men who I am. You want to see who I am? Come close. Twelve men. They're right here. And then Jesus, I don't know what this looks like. I mean, my mind just, try to imagine, there's just a power of God emanating from him. And as the crowd pushes in, these men are trying to help keep things from, from getting out of hand. And these people are just coming in, healed, 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 healed. He healed them all. If you're Thomas, you're, you may be skeptical at first. But that day left an impact, didn't it? This man is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. Look at the confirmation. He has yet to speak the sermon. That's coming next week. We're going to get there. But just in anticipation of his words, here is a display of absolute authority and inexhaustible power. This after a night, he didn't sleep. But he prayed. He prayed all night long. Behold your God. In his glory. Those men would have never forgotten that day. It changed their lives forever. And really, it, it changed ours. So our response this morning, I want to spend just a little time considering a few of these things. Sometimes when we go through these things, we, we don't stop and ask the question, well, is there some similarities between this this experience that the apostles had. There were only 12 apostles. They were chosen, they were commissioned, they were given a, a foundation-laying experience. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 2.20 says, what we have as a church is literally built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's not an ongoing ministry. We don't have apostles today in the church. They were commissioned by Christ directly, and that's it. But, Christian, here today, the same things that ring true of those apostles are true of you. Think about this. If you are a believer today here, you have, in fact, been chosen by God. Peter himself speaks of this in, in, uh, in 1 Peter. He says this, You, church, Christian people who trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are a chosen race. A chosen race, which is why Jews and Gentiles were one 
Because guess what? The race is Christian. That's the race now. These distinctions are no more. They're one in Christ. The end of racism, right there. Done. Awesome. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Echo from Deuteronomy. True Israel. That you may proclaim, this is the goal, this is the reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a joy it is. Now think of this. Not only are you chosen by God, but you're chosen by grace, right? We are brought to life in Jesus Christ not because we are worth saving or somehow meritorious of this salvation. We are, we are not worthy. We are sinners. We are rebels. Hmm. Lost in our sin. Running toward hell with all our mights. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's not your doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. You did not earn this so that no one may boast. No one may boast. Now, this is a reoccurring theme for Christians to take note of. Believer in your life, God has a very clear boast in mind for you, and it is not in you. It's in Him. It's in Him. That you may proclaim His excellency, that you may not boast in your work, but in His work. In his work. Hmm. So you could say it this way. Christian, your faith in Jesus Christ is not the basis of God's choosing of you. It is the result of it. The reason you are alive in Christ today is not because God looked down the corridors of time and said, oh, they're going to choose me. See, they're going to place faith in me, so I'm going to choose them. His choice comes first. This is how we know this. It's, it's, it's fruit, not root. Your faith is effect, not cause. Your, your faith itself is the result of God's sovereign electing choice. Listen to how Paul opens Ephesians. He says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He the Father, don't miss that, the Father, He, the Father, He chose us in Christ, in Him. When? When did He do it? Before the foundation of the world. What? That's when the Father chose whom He would save as His own. Before the foundation. So when you met Jesus and cried out, save me, just as we sang in that song, and turned to him and ran to him, that was the effect of the coming to fulfillment of the Father's choosing of you before the foundation of the world. Is that not a cause to rejoice? Why me? Because I love you. The Scriptures are filled with the sovereign, free, and saving choice of God. And sometimes it's worth just noting how glorious this doctrine is. It's complex. 
There's a lot of questions that abound, but it is stunningly glorious. Listen to this. You were chosen in weakness. All of us were. The call to worship this morning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, Consider your calling, brothers. This is good for us to do. Uh, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And not many of you were powerful or, or of noble birth. But, but God chose, that would be the Father, God chose what is foolish in the world. Why? To shame the wise. What's his goal? Why did he do this that way? He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, the nothings. That's us. That's us. We're, we're the nothings. To bring to nothing the things that are in the eyes of the world. What's his goal? What's his reasoning? Why, did he, why does he save this way? Why does he do this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. There will never be someone who walks into heaven saying, hey, I did it. Made the right pick. Check out the name on the jersey. Yep, all-star. I deserve to be here. Not one person will ever say that in the streets of heaven. They will all say and only say, who am I and great are you? Great are you. Because of Him, you are in Because of the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. You are saved because He chose you. Who became to us. The effect is that Jesus became to us at the right point along the way when God opened our eyes. He became to us the wisdom of God, the righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. I love that. I love that. It's all his doing. And we were chosen to change the world. It's an amazing call to carry the gospel. The echo that was given to the apostles in their mission is our mission, right? It's our mission. Think of this. The same Holy Spirit that indwelled them in power indwells you, Christian, right now, today. The same mission is in view. Carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Go and tell of Christ. Share with all. Tell them all. Come. Be saved. Come alive in Jesus. That's your mission. And so we go. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe of this lavish grace that you have bestowed upon us. It is grace because we don't deserve it. It is lavish because it is endless. And it is rooted in your divinely initiated, sovereign love that we don't deserve. Who are we, O oh God? And great are you. We are the nothings who have been given everything in Jesus. We are the weak. We are the feeble. We are the sinners, the rebels, the outcasts, those deserving of hell. And yet here we are alive in Christ. Give praise to you, Lord. We praise you for this reality. 
We don't deserve this great gift. And yet we delight that you have chosen us and called us your own. What unbelievably humbling effect this has on us. Who are we to be recipients of this sovereign grace? And yet we are. And so we make our boast in you and you alone. Thank you for saving us. We pray that you would use us to be agents of change in this world. Those that would carry as these men faithfully did, Lord, so may we by your grace and strengthened by you from inside with your spirit filling us, move us and make us bold in power to carry the saving good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth to invite all to come and be saved. It's in your name we pray. Amen.